we also come to know about Mr. Woodhouse, we also come to know about uh, Isabella Knightley and John Knightley and the kids, right? And we come to know about Eaton, we come to know about somebody else called Mr. Martin, we come to know about um, who else? Who else is there? Uh, yeah, anybody else? Right? Uh, the people at Randall, that's Frank Churchill, then we have, yeah, the the two people at, at Randall's. What's the name? Nobody nobody even cares to know about it. What's what's the use of doing that, right? What's the name of the people? Miss Taylor becomes Yeah. What's the name of the the, the person? Uh Pardon? Yeah, what, what's the name? Preston? No, not Preston. Weston. Right? Yeah. Is that, am I right? Anna, you had said something. Yeah, am I right over there? Yeah, Miss Taylor becomes? Yes, sir. Mr. Weston. I, I Weston. Weston, right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, do we know the name, the, the first name of Mrs. Weston? I don't know. I don't think I've come across it. Right? Yeah? Okay, fine. Okay, now, uh, so these are some of the things that we come to know, right? And we also come to know about letters, letter writing. I think we have two letters that are written. And uh, we have the letter from Mr. Bates, uh, Mr. Martin, to uh, Harriet Smith, right? That's one. Right? Then we also have a Frank Churchill's letter and we come to know about him through his letter. Right? And we have a commentary upon the character of uh, Frank Churchill. Right? So that's interesting because the idea is that's something that is commenting on the characters from within the novel and that becomes metafictional in itself. Right? Yeah. So actually, we are studying characters, and we are studying characters who are studying characters. Right? Yeah. Uh, they're not characters really in the world of the novel. They're real people. Right? Yeah. But for us, this is a character, and when they're talking about character, or we're talking about fiction, right? They're talking about this person who is an absentee character, who is called Frank Churchill. Right? Now, part two of the novel is actually uh, going off in the same direction because we have beginning first of all with a woman called Jane Fairfax right and we're talking about how Harriet Smith and Emma okay and of course uh, by the end of one it's quite a quick novel in that right it's taken us to this uh, heightening of Harriet Smith's emotion and is dashing down to uh, dashing down all of her hopes and all her desires, right? Also, when you have her uh, and uh, this uh, person called Mr. Elton not paying attention and not uh, choosing her at all, right? Yep. So, what's interesting is uh, Elton makes advances to. Uh, or makes a proposition or a proposal to uh, 
uh, Emma, right? And Emma thinks that he's after her 30,000 pounds, right? Yeah? Now that's something else which keeps coming up. And Emma constantly thinks about all these things, even in part two of the novel, right? And uh, uh, volume two is called, right? And actually it gives in, and the style of the novel is interesting because she's done that before, right? She's talked about George Knightley. She's not given George Knightley's name, okay? It's only towards the middle or little later than the middle of the first portion that we come to know there's somebody called George Knightley because we come to know about John Knightley Jr. and John Knightley Sr., right? Yeah? So we come to know about George Knightley at a very, very late date, right? And uh, we come to know who he is, right? Yeah? Uh, now, that's how, and that's what is interesting about this kind of a style of writing because she introduces this woman called Jane Fairfax, right? Yeah, Fairfax, right? Uh, and what is interesting is we begin to wonder who is this creature called J Jane Fairfax, right? And uh, I, I remember I've talked about uh, a contemporary women, a woman writer called uh, Anita Bruckner, right? I don't know if you remember that, right? And she begins a novel with Julia died, right? You okay? And then you don't know who's Julia till the end of the chapter, right? And then she says, "I didn't like Julia, and Julia was uh, her mother-in-law." Right? Yeah. So that's how it goes. And you have this kind of a, uh, of course, Julia died is a different thing. But here you have this kind of uh, introducing you to the character and then uh, actually saying who she was. Right? So that's a kind of engagement that is, uh, is used to draw the reader into the narrative. Right? So in volume two, the first chapter is actually beginning with a, a visit, right? And the visit is important because the visit is going to Bates' house, right? And the idea is, they first of all, they talk about the poor, right? And Mr. Elton is so kind about the poor, right? Yeah? And uh, Harriet is still talking about Mr. Elton, right? Though her hopes have been dashed to pieces, right? Her dreams have been shattered, her homes, hopes have been dashed to pieces, all those kind of things, and she should recover from uh, this kind of a psychological shock, right? And of course, it's been artificially created, and there is a person who's tried to uh, motivate her into feeling the way she does for Eaton without uh, the, uh, the other thing being reciprocated, or even he's been just polite, and it's uh, misconstrued as uh, a, a question of him being interested in Harriet Smith, right? And of course, the manipulator, of course, is no less than Emma, right? And why why is she doing all this is something to be considered, right? And then she says, well, he's not meant for me. He's, he's not my type, right? Well, that's what we would say today. But you know, she's saying, oh, he's not as polite uh, or as sophisticated as she would expect him to be, right? Yeah. And now you have another look 
at what is happening over here, right? And of course, you must remember that Northrop Fry in the drunken boat is talking about nothing romantic about Jane Austen's novels, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know whether that's true because you can you can see you have this kind of a pathetic fallacy and you have this idea of over emotionality when we come to the next chapter, right? So in the next chapter, the visit, okay, the visit is very important, whether it's a visit to the Westons or it's a visit to Eaton's or it's a visit to uh, the farm uh, of Mr. Martin, right? So these are important events and these are very nodal events in the idea of the narrative, right? And when you talk about a node, we're actually talking about a place just like you have on a railway map. You say, here's where the train goes and you have three directions and you, it can branch off here and here and here, right? Yeah, or any kind of road map. That's how the narrative works. And when we talk about narratology, we're talking about road maps of the narrative, right? So we go from here to there and then the narrative can go one, two, three, four, five. There's five different ways of going or ten different ways of going and out of those, those ten, you choose one, right? Yeah, so you have this continuation which is a little uncomfortable, right? How the, uh, uh, the politics of the relationship is re resolved is a question, right? How does uh, Harriet actually still uh, go on with a friendship with Jane, uh, with uh, Emma, right? Yeah. Does she think that Emma has done all these things to her, right? Does she even have all these problems that, look, somebody has egged me on, okay? And that's why my emotions have been, uh, uh, and my affections have been turned to this man called Mr. Eaton, Elton, right? Yeah. But all that's collapsed and it's informed. How it's informed, we don't know, right? But then the whole collapse of that becomes a very important thing, right? Now, of course, what happens over here is this idea of sickness, right? Now you get the idea of Elton telling Emma not to go anywhere near Harriet, right? Because she's not well and what has she got? And be careful about all that, right? Now, yeah, that's something extremely important, yeah? Because of the weather and something that has become a tradition in, uh, in a lot of societies, right? Because if somebody's got, uh, yeah, of course, it might happen in India also now after the pandemic, right? Yeah, and of course, we've lost a teacher from the uh, geology department, a young person, right? Uh, that's two days ago, it was out on the faculty website, right? And his father and his mother both died of the same thing and then he dies cured of it, but then unfortunately uh, there's not sufficient knowledge that we have, or there is, and people don't take precautions, right? So many people who get the COVID also die of heart failure and brain strokes. Uh, that's, uh, that's what we heard, right? Yep. And what, that's what we hear, right? Yep. Uh, so one of the interesting things that happens over here is it's about a lot of health and health issues, right? And uh, so you have the caution of a man called Eaton about Emma, right? And that's uh, 
well, many people maybe don't like that, right? Yeah, because it's almost, uh, uh, now the question is, does he do that because he's fond of Emma, right? Yeah, that may be something that happens, right? Because you're fond of a person, right? You, you're overcautious and overprotective of them, right? And that becomes irritating, yeah? Uh, some people actually are in love. I don't know about uh, whether Elton is really in love with her, with me, uh, who is trying to get a good match. That we don't know. We'll have to wait till the end of the novel, right? But the question is, uh, you have a lot of people who actually love somebody else, and that kind of love becomes uh, very uh, stifling, if you like, right? Or irritating uh, the most, right? Yeah, and people actually get irritated when somebody is overprotective about them or concerned about them, which is not manifest in the proper manifested in the proper manner, right? So that's exactly what happens when we're talking about uh, the idea of Emma and Mr. Elton, right? And the whole idea of Elf and this say, well, you don't go there because you might get the sickness, right? I'm very protective of you, right? And then, of course, he reveals what his intentions are. And it's done very nicely because it's done when he's probably drunk, right? Yeah. And so uh, we remember the line which we had in uh, Way of the World, in vino viritas, right? That is, truth is in in the wine, right? So when you're drunk, you speak the truth, right? So is that the truth or is it not the truth? Or you do you get lose control of yourself and say what you have to say, right? Yeah, so that's a question. And that's a complex kind of a idea that we have or a complex kind of character buildup that we have, right? So what happens over here is we're talking about how do we actually assess this, right? So we have these, uh, these bits and pieces over here and we have the idea of manners and behavior, right? And that's as advanced as we have with um, psychology today, right? Where we call a department a behavioral studies department, right? Because we get only by the person's behavior, by what this person says, by what the person does, how the person behaves, you get up a list about uh, the, the mental condition of a person, right? And of course, we have a classic example much before the discipline of psychology where one uh, is out to fool everybody by uh, putting on a mad act, right? And that's not none less than Hamlet, right? Yeah. So you have already the idea of madness and the idea of behavior and madness, right? Yeah. And of course, over here, we're talking about character, uh, the idea of uh, analyzing character according to behavior, right? Yeah. And of course, uh, the assumptions with which we approach things and how we analyze a character are also very important because we are talking about fic fiction, right? And we're talking about how people behave, right? And we're also talking about how do we analyze real living people, right? So one is in the fictional world where we're discussing characters, discussing other characters, right? They're characters to us and they're discussing other characters which are supposed to be real to them, right? But all of them are characters for us, right? And that goes back to Aristotle and the, uh, the idea of Aristotle and the whole idea of character, right? And the idea of character 
that's a much later idea, that's a structuralist idea, that characters created only by language, right? Yeah, and so that's something else that we have to consider over here. And what happens in the in the second volume of uh, of the novel is that you first have the visit to Mrs. Bates and Miss Bates, right? And they're talking about Jane Fairfax, right? And Jane Fairfax, and they're talking about her, and it's very interesting. And the style of Jane Austen is actually seen over here, right? So you get into this conversation, and who is Jane Fairfax, right? So that's a curiosity that's aroused, right? And uh, you might try to scratch your brains, and you might try to go back and read the first part of the novel to find out where did you get Jane Fairfax, right? Or have you heard the name of Jane Fairfax, and have you missed it, right? Yeah. And there is suggestion that Mrs. and Miss Bates are us not as rich as the rest of the people, right? First of all, it's because the kind of minimal furniture that they have in the house, right? Okay, and the idea that the source of income may not be there, right? And you have this conversation about Mr. Elton and that he cares for the poor, right? And you have Emma, uh, remember the visit that Emma is going to pay uh, some people who are not very rich, right? Yeah. So not very rich means uh, probably poor, and that's uh, in the first part of volume one, right? So how do we connect all these things together when we're talking about the whole idea of the poor, and how are hints dropped as to the social and economic status of people, right? Yeah. So now, and of course, uh, the first chapter of volume two is about letters. Right? The conversation goes on to Jane Fairfax, right? And you begin to wonder who is Jane Fairfax, right? Why are they talking about Jane Fairfax, right? And uh, they, the, and who, uh, why would Jane Fairfax come and stay with these people, right? Yeah, that is Mrs. Bates and Miss Bates, right? Now, if you've read the novel, you might see, and this is exactly what I felt about it, right? How do, do you arouse the reader's curiosity, one, okay? And the questions that you come up with is, who is Jane Fairfax? Why do you want, why is this Jane Fairfax being talked about, right? And why does Jane Fairfax, when, and of course, Ireland again figures, right? Yeah, so we talk about the Campbells, right? And we talk about uh, Mr. Dixon, right? And uh, that's when uh, a lot of, uh, interesting stuff happens, right? And you also get the idea that uh, Jane Fairfax is going, uh, had to actually go and visit uh, Mrs. Uh, Dixon, and Miss Dixon were uh, the daughters, the daughter of the Campbells, right? And there's a mention of uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Mrs., the new Mrs. Campbell, uh, the new Mrs. Dixon, right? And uh, Mrs. the new Mrs. Dixon is the daughter of the Campbells, right? And uh, the Campbell is Colonel Campbell, right? So now we're getting into the military stuff, right? And you begin to wonder who is Colonel Campbell, why Mr. Dixon, right? And there's a lot of stuff that is 
talked about about the marriage of uh, uh, the daughter of the campers, Miss Camper getting married to Mr. Dixon and it's, it says over here that it's not about uh, it's not about her beauty it's not a, about her accomplishments right and her accomplishments are far more than the accomplishments uh, uh, far less than the accomplishments and her beauty is far less than the accomplishment of this woman called Jane Fairfax Right? Yeah. And you begin to wonder why would Jane Fairfax actually care for this Mrs. Bates and Miss Bates? Right? Why would she actually think of them? Right? And why would she come and stay with them? Right? Yeah. And uh, Miss Bates, we don't know her first name, uh, is going on chatting with them and saying, well, we've got a letter from Jane Fairfax. Right? And then the whole discussion is about the letter from Jane Fairfax, right? And why why should that happen? And it's very curious that they're talking about this woman called Jane Fairfax. And in in the process they say Jane Fairfax is coming to visit us, right? Yeah. And you begin to wonder why is she doing that? And why hasn't she gone out to Ireland? Because uh, uh, she has this friend of hers who was a Miss Campbell and now is a Miss Dixon, right? Like uh, Miss Taylor was married to Miss uh, Weston, right? Yeah. So you have all those kind of things happening, right? And uh, you begin to wonder what's going on here. And those very nicely narrated about the letter and the uh, the process of reading, right? And the idea is that the mother's vision is not so good, so the daughter reads it, right? Yeah. And uh, she's also a little careful about reading because when she reads, she might uh, upset the mother, right? Yeah, so she says, well, and that's exactly what happened, right? I was reading the letter and I suddenly found and I lost control of myself, right? Now that is something interesting for us because we're talking about control, right? We're talking about control and you have... A lot of politeness, and that's also mentioned. Maybe I'll read that out, right? It's talked about this whole idea of politeness and how politeness operates, right? And that's a critique of English politeness. And of course, you will encounter it when you come to a ELT, right? Where the politeness principle is supposed to be part of the uh, cooperative principle, and the English are very, very polite people, right? Yeah, so you have this idea of a critique of that, yeah, that the idea of politeness, and you get a very, very polite, uh, non-responsive kind of politeness all around the place, right? Yeah, and you, you have, uh, yeah, yeah, my mother's deafness is very trifling, you see, just nothing at all, but only raising my voice and saying anything two or three times over, she's sure to hear, but then she's used to my voice. But it is very remarkable that she should always hear Jane better than she does me. Jane speaks so distinct. However, she will not find a grandma, right? So then she says she's a grandma, right? Yeah. And then you come to know uh, that Jane is a granddaughter, but you don't understand why all this com kind of complication you have, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. 
uh, and Emma had the advantage of hearing her own silly compliment repeated uh, twice over before the good old lady could comprehend it, right? So, uh, you're extremely kind, replied Mrs. Bates, highly gratified. You uh, are such a judge and write so beautifully yourself, right? They're talking about the handwriting of Miss Fairfax, right? Yeah, and they're talking about the excellence of handwriting and the excellence of writing, and they're talking about the 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 writing of Jane Fairfax and the writing of Emma, right? And that's a kind of a contrast, and that's how we study fiction, right? So when we talk about fiction, we're talking about one being a foil to the other, right? We have that as a long kind of literary uh, uh, literary stuff uh, or literary ways of uh, putting things down where you have one person being a foil to the other, right? Like for instance, you have uh, Liartes and Hamlet, right? Yeah, and Hamlet does that in uh, saying that talking about King Hamlet and King and uh, King Claudius, right? Yeah, and he tells his mother, look at this, look at this, and look at this. Look at this man uh, who is uh, who was my father, and look at his brother, and look at them together. And do you feel anything about it? And do you feel the difference, right? Yeah. So the idea of the foil is an old literary convention, and that's what Emma uh, is. Not Emma, but Jane Austen is doing, because Emma and uh, Jane Fairfax look as if they're foils to each other. Right? Yeah? And of course, what we get over here is the idea of the small town, right? And how the small town uh, values somebody's skills and what kind of dominance do you have in small town, right? Now, that's from a sociological kind of perspective, right? So you have the small town and somebody is a big, uh, a big name in writing, okay? Or a big name. In India, of course, it's a big name. Their writing is very good. Their English is very good, right? And that's what we have if you live in a small town, right? Yeah, so that's exactly the kind of, uh, yeah, we're talking about the village and the small town, right? And this is what happens. And when people are not educated, yeah, so we are talking about a time when women were not compulsively educated and didn't go to school, but they learned to write, yeah? And we're talking about women writing. Right? And the author herself is a writer. Right? So they are writing letters and women writing letters uh, is that you are educated enough to write a letter. That's what it would be in India. Uh, I don't really know about the educational system here, but it's not that you have universal schooling. Right? It's only some people who get educated and maybe they are educated at home. Right? So this is again a very important consideration. Right? So the idea of the letter is very important because you remember Frank Churchill's letter, right? Remember Harriet is learning manners and English and all that thing, saying with Mrs. Godard, right? Uh, remember that uh, this man called uh, Martin, Mr. Martin writes to, uh, to Harriet, right? And Harriet can read the letter, right? And now look at Mr. Elton writing poetry and leaving it around the place and these people read it and they copy it down, right? So that whole narrative of writing, the whole narrative of reading, right? And the whole narrative of saying that, well, people are writing to each other, people are reading each other, right? 
all those kind of things is a very important kind of uh, note that you're making because probably this is something that is new, right? Yeah, the idea that people are writing, women are writing, many people more are writing, and they're giving uh, people uh, written letters, right? So the idea uh, of writing and being read and writing and being read and commented upon and the, uh, the silent reading which we find and I think I've talked about before, right? Uh, yes, the silent reading and uh, the loud reading and those kind of things happen in uh, volume 2, chapter 1, right? Where it becomes very interesting when Mrs. Miss Bates says about reading out the letter to her mother, right? And she says, well, Jane has also instructed me not to read the letter out loud because my mother might get upset with what has happened, right? But I couldn't help but say, well, Jane's not well, right? And I lost control of myself and I was actually reading it quietly and because of that, uh, now we have to think about how do we look after Jane, right? Whoever Jane Fairfax is, she's going to come and stay with us. She's not going to Ireland. She's going to come and stay with us. And then we know in a little thing that she's a, it's a grandmother, right? Yeah, but that's not very much stress over here, right? That will be in chapter two of volume two, right? Yeah, and that will give us who Jane Fairfax is, right? So you might not notice that she's the grandmother, right? And then you begin to wonder, what about the parents, right? And you get to know that this Mrs. Dixon is a very close friend of uh, uh, Jane Fairfax, right? And so that's something else that is important. And uh, the question is, yeah, the, the idea of what is the motive of Jane Fairfax not going with, uh, not going to Ireland with Mr. Uh, with Lieutenant Colonel, uh, no, not Lieutenant Colonel, it's Colonel, yeah, it's Colonel Campbell and his wife, right, who are, who are going to see their daughter, right, and it's in Ireland, right, so we go back to Ireland and Ireland cannot be forgotten, right, and the whole idea of going to Ireland is like going to Kashmir, right, and the idea of uh, that's a different country that's actually mentioned in the text, right? Yeah, and uh, many people who are talking about Kashmir, which Kashmir is also, they tell you that's a different kind of world, right? Yeah, uh, so that's something that's uh, important for us to look at, right? Because when we're talking about Ireland, and Ireland has been uh, enslaved for so many uh, years, right? Yeah, it's actually centuries, right? It's some 800 and odd years that it's been uh, occupied by the British, right? And the British have been, uh, they had this idea of the Viceroy just designed for Ireland, right? So it's very difficult for the English to keep Ireland out, right? Yeah, and uh, for 800 years, they've lost, or more than 800 years, they've lost a lot of people, right? Yeah, and uh, you might like to listen to some of the Irish songs where they tell the British, get out, go home, right, yeah, and just remember that you've, we fought you for 800 years and we'll fight you for 800 years more, right, that's almost uh, Farouk Abdullah saying that, well, formerly 
you thought that we had Pakistan when we didn't. Now we have China and we won't mind going to China to prop ourselves up against uh, India, right? Yeah, so it's almost like that, right? So uh, you can listen to the Irish songs. Some, most of them are very, very sad, right? But then the question is, uh, what happens to... Uh, uh, so Mrs. Dixon has persuaded the Campbells or the, uh, the parents to come and uh, stay with them. Yeah, and then they're going to get... Uh, they're also going to take Jane Fairfax with them, right? Yeah, and she's got married only last October. And you begin to wonder, well, if she got married so recently, why should it be, right? Yeah, so here it's actually, you can get the words here. She was never away from them so much as a week, which must make it very strange to be in different kingdoms, right? Yeah, and Ireland is actually being ruled by England, and you say it's different kingdoms, right? Yeah, it's, it's a Kashmir story coming back again. I was going to say, but however different countries, and so she wrote kingdoms and countries, the whole idea of nation and country and all those kind of complications which arise today. And she wrote a very urgent letter to her mother or her father. I declare I do not know which it was, but we shall see presently in Jane's letter, wrote in Mr. Dixon's name as well as her own to press the coming over directly and they would give him them the meeting in Dublin and take them back to their country seat, Bailey Craig, a beautiful place, right? Now they're talking about, first of all, it's a different country and they would come all the way to Dublin to pick them up, right? Yeah, of course, <laughs> now if you're going from London to Dublin or Dublin to London, in fact, there was, uh, I think it was Paul Robson who came from Dublin University to give a lecture in Oxford, right? And one of the problems that he had is he had a he had a, a scissors with him, right? And the scissors was to do uh, this thing that we do uh, quite commonly when we teach literature. I used to do that, and that's uh, I, I used to do that for your course, right? And also for the compulsory English, right? So you, you get sentences uh, from a poem cut out, right? And you put them together, right? And you ask students to put them together, right? So that's one of the ways of learning poetry. I don't know if they're going to do that for you because this is when it was ELLT, right? Yeah. So Paul Robson actually does that, and he comes all the way from Ireland, right? And he's he's uh, he's rough, uh, rifled up by the uh, the people when he comes to England and says, "Well, are you do you still belong to the IRA, right? Yeah." And are you, are you going to do things for us, right? Yeah, so that's still today. And of course, the idea of Dublin, uh, yeah, that's one of the universities, Trinity College Dublin is where Beckett teaches, right? And Beckett teaches French over there. We already know that story, right? And he says, well, I can't teach something which I don't know to other people who do not know, right? And that's when he gives up his job, right? And that kind of honesty, if we had as teachers, perhaps we would have just given all this up, right? Because we're teaching people who don't know, right? And we also don't know a lot of things, right? Yeah, and that's the, the kind of uh, honesty that Beckett has, right? Because, and of course, he knew French very well to write a play in French. Uh, 
when French is not his language, right? That means it was uh, mastered very carefully and very well uh, done, right? And then he writes the same, just as Tago uh, uh, has his Gitanjali, which is transferred, translated into English with a lot of additions, right? Uh, Beckett and Karnad does also. Beckett also translates his waiting for Godot on his own, right? Yeah, but it's actually a French play, right? And people think that the French play is better than the English play, right? And of course, Beckett is Irish, yeah? So the whole Irish connection, you can't forget, right? Whether you talk about Tagore's Gora, you get the Irish over there, right? Whether you talk about Swift and the whole idea of Bob Dignang and Lilliput, you can't forget the Irish, right? And when we come here, we are talk, we are talking about English literature, and we have the Irish over here, right? Yeah. And this, the idea of the Irish being unreliable, is an old, old English way of looking at them, right? But also, there's something else about Ireland, which from Spencer downwards is known, right? And that is Ireland is very beautiful, and even now. People who go to Ireland say it's very beautiful because thanks to the IRA, right? It's like my friend in Kerala who says, well, he hates the Marxist because he's a businessman, right? And he says, well, the Marxists uh, are really uh, terrible because they get the labor unions up and they get all this up and all that kind of thing, right? And then once he comes to Pune and he tells me, well, Pune is not what it used to be when we were in college, right? It's become too industrialized, right? And all the green cover and all the greenness has disappeared, right? And then he says, well, I must say, there's one thing good about the Marxists in Kerala. Because of them, Kerala is still green, right? Yeah. So I had not seen Kerala then. I didn't know anything about it. But I, I found that very funny and very interesting, right? Yeah. So the question is, maybe because of the IRA and all the, all the disturbance that they have in Ireland, right? from 800 years, most of the Irish don't stay in Ireland, they stay in England, right? And I, I think I told you the story that when you have a person called Shimu uh, Sini, who's also Irish, right? Who's talking about uh, the, what, what's this called? The, them exhuming a body from the peat bogs, right? Yeah. And I don't remember the name of the poem. I have it down somewhere. It's a sonnet, right? Which is interesting, right? He's talking about a woman who, right? Well, we have all that happening in India now, right? Yeah. A woman who's, who's committed suicide or is killed. That we don't know, right? Because of this idea of getting married to a Catholic or a Protestant and all that kind of divide, right? And uh, it must be a very old body because she's... She's found in a peat bog, right? The, the string around her neck is found, right? And her skin has already become leather because of the peat bog. So the body is preserved over a long period of time, right? And then you get back into this idea of finding out what exactly happened to her, right? So that is something that you begin to question, right? And then you go back to Irish history and you can't miss that out, right? And the whole idea of... Uh, history of oppression. When does this history of oppression begin? And how long does it continue? Right? And you have more than 800 years of oppression. Right? And they still, uh, of course, now they're talking about one island because half of Ireland belongs to Britain. 
and half is independent, right? So they're talking about the unification of Ireland, which has not yet happened, right? So a huge chunk of Ireland is under the British crown, right? So uh, this idea of freedom, the idea of country, the idea of kingdom, all this is brought in over here, which I think is important, right? And maybe we can contest the claims of this man called uh, Frank Kermode when he's talking about Jane Austen having nothing romantic about her, right? Yeah, I, I would like to think about that and if one of you can think of writing a, a, an assignment on that, right? That's That would be a good idea, right? Uh, yeah, so you have this whole question of uh, Dublin and Ireland and all those things coming up, right? And uh, you get the whole idea of different, a different kind of people, right? You get uh, this whole, yeah, so in, when you look at the whole idea of the Englishness over here, Englishness had actually come up with this idea of Samuel Johnson, right? And you get the idea of Englishness, right? I'm sure that you're dealing with this idea of Indianness when you come to Indian writing in English and Indian poetry in English. We talk about Indianness. What is Indianness, right? And we have a lot of very serious problems about what is Indianness, right? Yeah, so some people would say Sanskritic uh, text, right? And then the other people like Professor Raj Rao who would say, well, when they had this, uh, uh, something in Britain or New York, wherever, some big conference and somebody recited slokas in Sanskrit and he says, well, I felt an outsider because I, I don't understand any Sanskrit, right? And I've never learned Sanskrit. And so you just put me out. And what happens to me as an Indian writer in English, right, who has no regional language, right? That's his position, right? Yeah. So the idea of Indianness, okay, the Irishness is there, okay? The Irishness is already defined, okay? But the idea is how do you define Irishness? And Irishness is defined by the difference, right? Yeah? You have this very, very staid, prim and proper, polite culture, which we're talking about in England, right? And you have the Irish who are more relaxed, right? And they're more, uh, they, they don't have to pretend anything, right? Yeah, they don't have all these kind of pretensions about themselves, right? Yeah, and they're very, uh, they're very jolly kind of people. In spite of all the pain and suffering, right? They still have a lot of music, of very sad songs, right? And they still sing it, and that gives them the idea and the identity, right? Yeah, and of course, even uh, you get uh, Samuel Johnson, right? Uh, who's Irish, right? And he puts the language together. He gets the punctuation into the English language. I'm sure you know that story, right? And in in this kind of uh, Augustan age, that's when the English language gets systematized, right? And this is the the whole idea of systematizing has also become something very important with in the writing of Jane Austen, right? Because it's just a little after that the idea of uh, systematizing of the writing. Uh, takes place, right? Of course, you get the but the very used again and again, and that becomes a marker of saying, well, at one point of time, the English were like the Indians or like the Americans who use intensifiers like very, very often, right? Yeah, because Indians like to use, ah, I'm very happy, I'm very sad, I'm very, very, very all the time, and uh, the Americans go one step further, right? 
everything is awesome or awesome as they say right yeah so of course that's a take on the uh, the uh, the pronunciation right so you say the english say awesome right or uh, the americans say awesome all the time right? and everything is awesome for them right yeah so uh, that's uh, of course the uh, the kind of play of word the word play of course is interesting right okay so what exactly that we have over here right so actually first is the letter right and the idea of the letter and then you get something interesting especially in chapter 2 right uh, in chapter 1 emma gets upset when they actually going to read the letter we've told you about the letter now we're going to read the letter right now at one level she's very polite yeah and she pays a lot of compliments to jade for fairfax and that's some something that we must notice right yeah and that's the typical kind of british uh, politeness right and also that's very suspect right because later you come to know that she doesn't really like jane fairfax and this kind of uh, female rivalry right or uh, what well, if one wants to be uh, male chauvinist one would say a kitty rivalry right yeah and this is a kind of uh, a problem that women have among each other right okay and the the, the questions of course are one is when we look at it as a literary text we're talking about the foil right yeah so jane fairfax is a kind of a foil to uh emma wood uh emma woodhouse right yeah so that's how it works right and she's supposed to be more uh beautiful and more cultured right because she's been and then we come to know that she's been exposed to the culture of these people called colonel campbell and uh his wife right so and she's been living in london and here it's not um uh, what's it called hartfield right yeah it's not hartfield it's london that she's living in right and therefore she is exposed to the idea of the city culture where this semi urban semi rural kind of culture that is over here in the text right so we're talking about the semi rural the semi urban and all these elements come up over here right and what we also have is the story which is a common story which is also emma's story right the mother is not there and the father dies in war right now war against whom uh yeah that's question right yeah so he dies in war in a far away land now does he die in the united states right or does he die in, uh, uh, yeah so is it a colonial land that he dies in we don't know all those things are hidden right yeah uh but it's the the idea is that he dies right and then the romantic thing is when the husband dies the wife also dies right and the child is left behind right and that's a tragedy which is not uncommon right up to the 20th century in the uk right yeah so the the wife dying and the husband dying and then the grandmother is to look after the child right but there's a twist over there in the story where this camp, her father the lieutenant in the army right a lieutenant is if we you know uh, the indian army is also based on the same kind of hierarchy the lieutenant is when you join the army right and that's the lowest rung of the army which is important to think about right and colonel campbell says that well this man looked after him 
when he was dying, right? And he was dying of a, a dangerous fever, right? And because of that, he does something for his daughter and they adopt uh, Jane Fairfax and treat them as uh, her, their own daughter and she is almost of the age of their own daughter, right? Yeah, or, so then the daughter gets a companion and he's repaying a debt for his life, right? And that's exactly where Jane Fairfax... So this is revealed in the second chapter, right? And you begin to wonder what happens, right? And of course, you get a re resolution because Knightley is a kind of a person who is doing the character analysis for us at one level, right? So we're actually looking at Knightley, right, from outside the text, and Knightley is look, doing the character analysis from within the text, right? And he's actually telling uh, Emma that, look, you actually have a problem, right? And your problem is that you are probably, uh, uh, you have this uh, Jane fact, Fairfax as a kind of a foil to you, right? And actually, why should she, right? Because Jane Fairfax doesn't have any parents, right? She's brought up as an orphan, and that's exactly how chapter two begins, right? Jane Fairfax was an orphan, right? And then you begin to wonder where she comes from, what is happening to her, right? And then you get this idea that she's been looked after by the Campbells, right? And she's been looked after as their own family. And here you have the grandmother and uh, the mother, uh, the, the grandmother and the aunt, right? And she's supposed to be, her mother is supposed to be the youngest daughter of Mrs. Uh, what's her name? Uh, 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 what is the woman's name? Uh, Bates, right? The youngest daughter of Mrs. Bates, right? And so you get Mrs. Bates and Miss Bates who have to look after uh, the, their granddaughter, uh, the, the niece and the granddaughter, right? And she's going to come and then the question is, uh, she's not well. So maybe Mr. Perry can look after her, right? And Perry is a doctor, as you know. And then there's a question of, well, uh, Perry can be charitable, but at the same time, he's got a wife and a family. He can't do free service for people, right? So that idea of, and time is money, right? Which is something that we encounter when we come to our Victorian text which is much after this, right? Yeah, and that's the idea of David Ricardo, but it's already picking up perhaps. And that's why it's important to read literary text, right? So you might find an idea which we come to know later, right? Which is probably uh, like Descartes is talking about, uh, I think therefore, I'm, uh, uh, therefore I am, and all this kind of uh, the modern self being thought about. And you find that Shakespeare is already talking about the whole idea of the eye, right? Yeah. So you also get this idea over here that time is money, right? And even in a rural area or a semi-rural or semi-urban, semi-rural area like uh, Hartfield, you have this idea of time being money and it's better not, uh, you can't really have somebody who's going to treat uh, uh, Jane Fairfax free, right? And the question is, it looks as if uh, these two uh, uh, women, that is Miss, uh, Miss, what's her name? Bates and Mrs. Bates, right? They are uh, probably not well to do, right? That's the impression that you get from the descriptions that is about Harriet saying that 
they have hardly very much furniture and they have hardly have very much in the house, right? So you get this idea that, look, they might probably be uh, not very well to do and this Jane Fairfax might be one of these elite and that's actually mentioned in the text, right? That she lived in very elite circumstances, right? And after that, they say that she is the granddaughter of uh, Mrs. Bates, right? Yeah, so... Uh, that's something that you get, right? And please look at the sequence when you read it, if you read it, if you want to read it, right? I'm sorry for saying, being so mean and saying all these things, but I think I must drive it in. Please read the text, right? And don't wait for me to read it because I'm going to give you my reading of the text instead of you having your own reading of the text, right? Yeah, okay. But what's interesting and what's very interesting is that they're talking about uh, George Knightley is actually telling Jane... Uh, Emma that look you're looking at her as a rival right and the idea is that they're waiting for her in this place because she and Frank Churchill are going to be people who have not come from this place right and we know that Frank Churchill has been talked about as a very handsome man right and we also know about Jane Fairfax as a very good looking woman with a lot of accomplishment, that is a lot of culture or what you call elite culture and she's learned that elite culture which is uh, derived that elite culture from living in London, one, the city culture, right, and uh, with people who are uh, higher up higher up in the army, that is the lieutenant colonel in the, uh, colonel in the army is not an ordinary person, right, yeah, and at that point of time, even today, uh, maybe in the uh, maybe we don't have all this uh, difference over here, right? But uh, in the British time, to be a major in the army for an Indian was a great thing, right? The colonial kind of thing, right? Uh, so uh, maybe you can think about that, right? And if somebody happened to be left in colonel, that would be a big thing, right? I don't know whether that is still the status anymore, right? Yeah, but uh, it's still uh, the whole idea of hierarchy. Uh, becomes very important and the idea of the presence of the army right yeah the idea of uh, the English having an army the English having the hierarchy right the idea of culture and the army right which is also something that happens in India right when you talk about the military culture that's something that gets to us right yeah now uh, to answer a student's question maybe I should send him all the stuff that I've uh, been talking to you about right uh, and he, he had asked me, why do we have to study Jane Austen, right? Now, first of all, the narrative, the narratology, right? Yeah, and how she takes you into all these things, right? First, by giving you a kind of puzzle. Who, is, who the hell is this, right? This is very much like today's journalism, right? So when you actually want to attract the audience or keep the audience into your subject, you, you throw up something which makes them wonder who it is, right? And then you reveal it after some time, right? So that's what she does, right? So the curiosity of the reader is aroused, right? So when we're talking about writing techniques and how do you write, yeah? If you want to write a novel or if you want to be a journalist, right? And how does she keep you occupied, right? You first begin to wonder who the hell is Jane Fairfax, right? Why is she talking about Jane Fairfax? Why is this new character introduced, right? And it's only in chapter 2 that you find out about Jane, uh, Jane Fairfax's 
uh, family, her history, and where she's placed. And then the question is, another issue comes up. That is, maybe she's going, not going to Ireland because it's a very close friend, right? And maybe Mr. Dixon is inclined to her, right? Now, that's taking us back to the first part, right? Where we're talking about this natural bond between uh, Harriet Smith and Mr. Martin, right? Which uh, Jane, uh, not Jane, Emma uh, squashes up, right? Because she says, he's not meant for you, he's not a match and all those kind of things. And that's what Harriet does, right? But over here, they're talking about this and they're also, she's also making mention that uh, Mrs. Campbell, uh, Miss Campbell, who becomes Mrs. Dixon, right? Is not very good looking, right? And is not even as talented as Jane Fairfax, right? But Mr. Dixon uh, chooses to marry her and she feels naturally inclined towards him. So the whole idea of natural inclination is something that is picked up here, though they're talking about matches, right? And what is interesting and what is important is he gets married to her and they go away to Ireland and that's it, right? And the idea is Jane Fairfax is probably trying to not go there for the same simple reason that uh, she doesn't want to be this kind of, uh, after all that's a married man, right? And he's married a friend and she doesn't want to be uh, a kind of a distraction for the marriage, right? So that's one of the things. And when she's talking about motive and motives, please read the text, right? Yeah. So the idea of the motive, they are insisting that she comes along because uh, Mr. Dixon and Mrs. Dixon have both called Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, and Mrs. Campbell to come to Ireland to spend time with them, right? And they've also insisted that Jane come along, right? But Jane uh, uh, goes back, and then the whole idea of sickness, whether it's real or whether it's not real, we don't know, right? So that's something else, and the idea, of course, this is reflected upon. Yeah, and the idea, of course, is uh, Jane is a kind of a foil to uh, Emma, right? And Emma slowly realizes that she's not to be uh, uh, so touchy about the idea that uh, Jane Fairfax is uh, much more beautiful than her and much more accomplished, even in her writing, right? Yeah, so that's something else that you can talk about, right? And we have the whole idea of playing the piano, right? And the idea of how they're trying to show I'm socially better off than you, right? These are common games people play even today, right? So you might like think about that, that this is how socially people behave, not only uh, in England, right? But even in India, right? So people play all these kinds of social games and uh, well, uh, the idea of cultural games, right? Like for instance, I have this cousin of mine, uh, yeah, and they were from a very, very uh, kind of elite family, right? And he calls his boss over for dinner just to show the eliteness of culture, right? Yeah. So the boss is uh, higher in hierarchy in the company because of his age and because of his uh, qualifications perhaps, right? And of course, uh, this cousin of mine uh, shows them that we can have 
a grand dinner, much grander than you can have, right? Which is, I, of course, don't like all these kind of things, right? But these, these are how MBAs operate, right? And my cousin was one of the MBAs, right? Yeah, so that's the way they operate.